Hello and welcome back to Long Ball Football, a weekly podcast by two English brothers trying to get their head around all the goings on in the Portuguese league. We're back after a bit of a break over Christmas. Uh, how's that been for you, Barney? You okay? Yeah, nice little winter break. Um, <laughs> no, we charged the batteries before the next part of the season. Absolutely. I mean, I didn't. <laughs> weren't training much. A lot of eating for me, but <laughs> I'd be one of those players coming back after the break. Uh, clearly, had a little bit too much Christmas dinner. <laughs> How about you? You're right. Very much, very much the same. Been enjoying being lazy, but still plenty of football to to keep up with. I thought there was going to be a winter break for Portugal, but actually, it seemed like there were more matches than normal. Yeah, quite a packed schedule. I mean, they don't do um Boxing Day game as we do in England, which I do love a Boxing Day game, but um, the fixtures are coming thick and fast still. Yeah, plenty for us to get our teeth stuck into. Uh, we're going to kick off the news of the week with the first piece of silverware up for grabs uh, in Portugal. That was the Super Cup, uh, a match very similar to the Charity Shield that we have here. A game between last year's winners of the league and last year's winners of the Tusk of Portugal. Uh, it's a one-off fixture in this year. It was predictably Porto versus Benfica. Porto ended up winning the game 2-0. Before we get on with the game, Barney, I just want to say how pleasantly surprised I was to see the game being taken quite seriously. Um, the teams looked pretty up for it. The fans seemed up for it online. There was a nice buzz on social media. Uh, I don't think it was the most exciting game in the end, but it was a nice spectacle for us to witness for the first time. Yeah, I think the thing for me was um, the first opportunity we've had to sort of see these two teams play against each other. They're almost sort of, they could sort of set the benchmark in a way. Obviously, Porto have played um, sporting so far this season, but that was quite early on. And um, yeah, I was really looking forward to this one. I think I disagree with you a little bit in the sense that I felt Benfica players weren't that up for this game. I, I feel like that's what Lucelle was um, doing at the end of the game when he was like, laying into the players. Um, I thought Otamendi sort of showed a bit of fight, but otherwise there wasn't anyone really in that Benfica team who seemed to be that bothered about the occasion. It's funny you say Otamendi as well, because... In all fairness, credit where credit's due, I think he was bizarrely one of their best players on the day, especially coming up against his old team, obviously. And maybe he's played in this fixture a few times, so he understands the magnitude of it. There are other players like maybe Rafa. I'm always impressed with Rafa when he plays. He seems to be... I mean, he's been at Benfica for a while now. Um, he seems to understand what it means and he seems to be able to get himself up for games, even if the rest of the team aren't. But yeah, that's, that's a very fair point. I don't think Benfica were impressive at all well, one instance that jumps to my mind was um, in the first half um, there was a little coming together between Darwin Nunes I'm not sure if it was actually Pepe but Pepe had a little go at him afterwards like we got his finger right in his face you know really really riled up and then later on in the game Pepe's on the floor for whatever reason and um, Darwin Nunes goes to pick him up you know and it's just those little things like if you understood the occasion you wouldn't be doing that to the opposite you wouldn't be helping him up at all You'd, there'd be that sort of the nastiness to it um, you sound like Roy Keane Barney <laughs> no, no hugging in the tunnel <laughs> this is it man I mean they're the two biggest clubs in Portugal they've had quite they had quite a, like a, a heated competition for the league last season and it just seemed that Porto have these experienced players of the league and who are used to this derby a bit more by now and then Benfica have got quite a few new faces there was that difference for me in this game I think ultimately the game panned out exactly how Porto would have liked you know they got their they got their penalty got the goal um, didn't really have to do that much afterwards. Luis Diaz came on, got the winner, obviously. It just played out quite nicely nicely for them. And I just felt Benfica didn't really have that many chances. To be honest with you, we predicted 2-0 to Porto at the beginning of the game. And the goals coming in exactly the way they did come felt uh, quite predictable, to be honest. For me, the most interesting things about the match were outside the game. 
particularly uh, I enjoyed uh, the Benfica players once they'd lost when they were going for their medal ceremony. It was almost like they were having a little competition to see who could sort of rip off their medal uh, as quick as possible, who could have the like most disgusting look on their face. Um, there was obviously that all that stuff at the end. Uh, George Jesus, Luis Al and Rui Costa seemed to be having a bit of a heated debate. And yeah, Luis Al giving the players a bit of a bollocking at the end uh, was only topped by Adelta Rapp standing there just like not bothered <laughs> at all. <laughs> I mean, that, that must be the frustrating, frustrating thing from those. That this, the Benfica performance was just so similar to a lot of performances we've seen recently, and yet it was a cup final against your, one of your biggest rivals. I mean, that's the most disappointing thing. I think this game actually should have been played back in August, if I'm right. I think it's got moved because of the scheduling. But then also, there's this other thing that's come out uh, after this game now. Otavio for Porto has now been suspended for two games for comments he made post-match about the referee. Back in the game in August, it's like you know six six months later. I think Porto are pretty. They're not happy about this because you know the timing's not great. I've got two cup games against. I mean, two league games against uh, Moriens and Famalicão coming up, and he's going to be missing out. It must be quite frustrating. Like, why is six months later? Why is like <laughs> Christmas time when they've got this fixture congestion? Do you remember what he said? It basically said that. Um, the other team had three extra players, referring to like the referee and the right, 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 classic. I, I guess that is a bit silly to do. I mean. That's the sort of thing you man. You want your manager to be saying those sort of things if they are going to say it, because they if they get suspended, you know, it doesn't really affect the team as much as a, an actual player. And Atavi has been quite quietly, I feel, this season one of their better players, just going about his business. Definitely one of their most consistent players. Definitely. Well, in other news in the Premier League, we do have a bit of transfer activity. I don't think the Portuguese window officially opens until the first of January. I'm not sure what day this podcast will go out. Uh, but Thiago Santana, the Santa Clara striker. Uh, has signed for Japanese side Shimizu S. Pulse. Uh, he's had a fantastic season this so far, Barney. Seven goals in nine games in the league, eight goals in 10 games in all competitions. Only Pedro Gonçalves has scored more goals than him in the league. The only surprise for me, and I know you want to talk about this as well, is that one of the bigger Portuguese teams didn't come in for him, especially with a price tag of only two million. I think this is the thing with this league, isn't it? It's, we're used to like the Premier League, you know, tens of million pounds mm. like for players for Santa Clara I feel that like this is quite a significant amount of money they got 4 million for Sanusi from Porto back in the summer so 2 million is still quite a significant amount for them particularly in these times of Covid I mean the club itself I think one of the quotes from Thiago Santana about the move is that it's a, a dream come true to join a club with so much tradition um, but when <laughs> I, I mean I think I don't think they've ever won the league or anything or the, the J League Right. And like the only the only player of note I've seen who's played for him is Freddie Longberg, like towards the end of his career. But I guess that's the thing that that part of the world Brazilian players have have a lot of success in like Japan and Asia there. Right. Um, and so, for a personal point of view, this probably is a good move for him. You know, a different part of the world. I, I imagine he'll kill it in the J League. Um, I I've obviously don't know much about that league, but I imagine he'll be probably the best players in that league. I mean, he's he's an interesting player, isn't he? Because he's only twenty seven years old. He's not over the hill. He's not 32. Uh, I had a quick look back at his uh, previous career. He had a pretty unremarkable career in Brazil. Um, his first European team was Vitória Chitubal in 2016. He was there for one season and scored one goal. Um, and it was only at Santa Clara that he had any success at all, really. So I am surprised to see him move abroad so early when especially you know, teams like Sporting are looking for strikers at the moment. There's been heavy rumours that they're looking within the league as well as... Um externally because they want that number nine I'm not sure if for Sporting he is the right person I don't think he's quite got the pace I don't know 
But like you said at the beginning, two million pounds absolute steal if they if they were going to look within the league. And his goal tally this season is you know it speaks for itself. And just to say this from Santa Clara's perspective, Barney, how do you think that will affect them this season? For me, it's massive. I mean, you can sort of draw parallels to Briar um, Ave this season, losing Taremi to Porto and seeing him just simply losing that consistent goal scorer and how that's affected their results. I think the same with Santa Clara, particularly at that end of the table. You're gonna, you need goals to get points. And if, if you lose your best goal scorer, there's no names that spring to mind who are going to jump into that spot. Well, we'll have to see how Santa Clara fare for the rest of the season. But of course, we wish all the best of luck to Thiago Santana. And um, we're going to miss someone who was one of the gems of fantasy football this season. Absolutely. Well, let's talk football. It's been a couple of weeks since we last done a podcast, so there's plenty to talk about. There's been quite a few games happening uh, since we last talked. Me and Barney are both going to just pick out some of the results that stood out to us, some of the teams, uh, how they've been performing over the week. So I'm going to start with uh, Victoria Gimaraish, a team that we try and include on this podcast as often as we can. But it's fair to say their season so far hasn't quite got off the ground. They've had been very solid at the back, had a few solid results here and there. But that all changed a couple of weeks ago in their game against uh, Santa Clara, uh, a game where Ricardo Quaresma finally made his mark. And at the weekend, they lost 3-2 against Porto as well, but it was still an exciting performance. Uh, I'm going to start with the 4-0 win, though, because I know you watched that game as well, Barney, uh, and it seemed like a real turning point for them. Some of their key players have performed, but Ricardo Quaresma bagging himself a goal and two assists in this one. And it was just great to see them playing well and great to see some of their key players doing well. Yeah, I don't know what you think, Albert, but the um, most glaring thing for me is obviously Edwards has lost his place in this team. And But like it's the performance, the 4 0 win against Santa Clara was such a brilliant performance without him and the team. Um, I thought Charisma, like you said, was just at his best, really, you know, getting those assists. And um, I don't know what you think about the strike that's coming to Stupinan. Um, he looks like, like what Charisma's been begging for, just someone to hit balls into. I mean, what a story as well. Oscar Estupinian, 24 years old from Colombia, two goals on the night. But I just don't know where this guy came from because it was his debut for Vittoria. He hasn't made a single appearance all season. And, and he starts out of nowhere and scores two great goals. Like you said, Ricardo Correggio playing on the right-hand side, which is often where uh, Marcus Edwards has been playing. But obviously Correggio with that right foot and that incredible delivery that he's got just created chance after chance. Uh, I thought he looked brilliant. Perfect for Victoria's system. Uh, they've got so many creative players that can make chances, and I think they just need that out-and-out striker to put the chances away. I mean, it could simply be that. We've talked about it earlier on in the season where they looked like they're missing that someone to spearhead their attack. Also, I mean, they obviously conceded the two against Porto, uh, the three against Porto, sorry, but clean sheet against Santa Clara, who have shown this season that they're no mugs, you know, and we've just mentioned Thiago Santana as well for them, who, who's been scoring a lot this season, kept him quiet. It suddenly seems to have clicked, hasn't it? And they, I feel that they carried that on into the Porto game. I, even though they lost, I thought it was still a strong performance. It was still a very strong performance. And, and again, I do just want to touch on what you mentioned earlier. That game was also notable for the fact that Marcus Edwards didn't start that game either. I had assumed that perhaps he was just being rested in that first game. I'm not sure how much we should read into this, though, Barley, because part of me is hoping, really, that it's just a case of the manager not changing a winning team. Well, I, I wanted to t- uh, look into uh, Rochina, um, the winger who 
who's essentially the second winner keeping him out of the squad. I thought in this Porto game, he was fantastic. He got the first goal. Quick question, Albert. Do you know what uh, English club he's played for in his past? Rochinha? Mm. Do you know what the name rings a bell, but I haven't got, I haven't got a name for you, buddy. He was at Bolton in 2014. <laughs> really? Where I couldn't believe that. I think he was on loan from, he was in it for a lot loan from a Portuguese club, but yeah, he was at, at Bolton at one point. Amazing. Uh, I think he, he looked really good. Um, I thought his first goal was, was decent as well. And yeah, it just seems to be really balanced with that front three of Estupinan and Kresma. I mean, Kresma's assist as well for the to take them two one up. That was just absolutely pinpoint. Fantastic cross. It just shows his class. Um, I think we'll just be hoping for a bit of a response from Marcus Edwards, perhaps. Uh, it's fair to say that he's one of, if not the best players at that club. Uh, maybe he's not hit his full potential this season. I haven't quite seen the best of him so far. So hopefully this will be a sort of jolt that he needs. But to go back to the game, yeah, like you said, a great performance. They will be upset to lose. Um, I thought they played very well. Uh, some comments from the manager after the game saying, obviously, they were unhappy to lose, but they've got three good games coming up in the league, three good, three good opportunities to get some points on the board. And for me, when you see them now in fifth place with that kind of three-point cushion, that's more where they'll want to be. They'll want to keep that momentum going and start solidifying themselves in that top five. Just quickly on the defence, Albert, I know they conceded three in this game, but... Um, and obviously, Issa Suleiman hasn't featured in the last two games. A player I was critical of a few uh, weeks back, uh, the left-back, uh, Young Mensah, on loan from uh, Salzburg, I think. He actually impressed me in this Porto game. I thought he looked um, a lot better than uh, the best I've ever seen him. Fernandez, the, the more experienced centre-back in there, I thought he looks good. I, I can't see Issa Suleiman taking his place. Bauer Moomin as well for me. I, he's obviously younger. I feel like they see a lot of potential in him. Not much to say on him, really. Just that I think Suleiman should be looking at that spot, really, and trying to get in there. But to look at um, Porter, though, for them, they did well to get the points. I thought Taremi took his two goals really nicely. And I just, I'm really enjoying this um, Marega and Taremi duo at top. I feel if um, Evan Nilsson or Tony Martinez were to come in now, it would be Marega who'd lose his spot rather than Taremi. I don't know how you feel about that. Well, I think uh, on current form, it probably should be, but I'm not sure whether Marega's got some stature at the club, you know, to throw some weight around. But I think you're totally right to single them out. It's turning into a really great partnership. And probably nice for Morega to have some of the goal-scoring burden taken off him. It was interesting that Porto started with um, Pepe and Leitz at centre-back for this game. Something that you wanted to see. Definitely. Um, but uh, unfortunately, it only lasted 30 minutes. With, um, Pepe looks like he's got another injury, unfortunately, a muscle injury. Um, so he came off. But at the same time, uh, did you see um, young Barrow? He, he was on a yellow card. He, he committed a foul, which probably could have been a second yellow. And then... Conscious I was like, right, you're off, mate. And uh, hmm. it, just the length of time it took for the numbers to come up on the board and just his face on the screen was just, oh, my heart broke for him. Um, <laughs> because, you know, it's his, it's his first start this season. Um, he's a young prospect. I, I knew about him before we concentrated on his league, you know, hotly tipped to, you know, be a breakthrough star at some point. Possibly similar to Marcus Edwards, really, but I don't know what you feel, but the way it's being handled, the fact that he's been taken off after 30 minutes, you know, do you think that's good for him? Do you think that's just giving him like the push he needs or? It depends on the character of the player though, doesn't it? I mean, you'd hope that he'd take it the right way. You'd think that any player who's playing under Sergio Concesal will know not to take things like that to heart. You know, he is, a, he is a tough manager. So you know that working for him. So I think he'll know not to take that personally. Hopefully he'll, hopefully he'll grow from it. I mean, I think the other thing that Sergio Costa-Shell has shown is that he does give chances to young players. So I don't think there's too much to be worried about. No, and ultimately, I mean, bringing on Luis Diaz for Barrow was the right decision. I thought he was the man of the match. He got um, 
got the winner, got the assist for Jeremy's second goal as well. And I just feel like he's been probably put his best player this season by far. Um, another in- game I really enjoyed uh, this week out was Belenens, um Sporting. Um, both teams scoring this one, ending two uh, one to Sporting. How good were Belenens? It really surprised me. We haven't really. I've, I've, I think it's the first game I've watched them properly, and, and they were fantastic, man. I think that was the real takeaway from this game for both of us. We watched this at the same time, and we knew we had spoken. In in fairness, we'd spoken about their incredible defensive record. Uh, we mentioned, I believe, on last week's podcast that they've got one of the best defensive records in Europe's top 10 leagues, uh, which is really an incredible achievement. Uh, but that said, they haven't exactly been flying up the table. So they've gone a bit under the radar for us. And yeah, like you, watching them, I was so impressed. I really thought they just had that hunger about them uh, and that defensive solidity, which is such a great combination. Um, I really thought it was going to be possible for them to get something out of the game. They were very unlucky, I thought. It was the sort of game where quite a few things went against them. We can go into those things in more detail. But yeah, on another day, maybe they would have got more. I thought the tactics were spot on. I thought they had a sort of extra man in midfield who would sort of play around Perlini and Mario, uh, Jao Mario. And then, yeah, Miguel Cardoso, who got their, uh, their equaliser, um, he was just fantastic. Always making runs in behind. I thought he was just playing off Neto as well. Was sort of, they identified him as the weak link in that back team, uh, back line. Very, very smart tactics from uh, Benenenses. Would have been my man in the match as well, Brian, if it wasn't for that really poor penalty miss, I think. It's one of those penalties where it was so bad. I think you do have to put the responsibility on him. Let's just go into some of the things that happened during this game because it was an action-packed game. He was their best player, Cardoso, for me. But the real man of the match, I think, was Adan in goal for Sporting because he had a fantastic game. And I think I remember off the top of my head two or maybe three real goal-scoring chances that he prevented uh, through his goalkeeping. So, you know, if you're thinking about it from Belenenses' point of view, Maybe if he hadn't been quite as on top of his game, maybe if uh, Thomas Ribeiro hadn't got sent off late in the game, that was a really silly second yellow, just ball over the top, puts his hand up, no idea why. He doesn't know why. He was obviously gutted. But they can take a lot of positivity from that performance, can take a lot of heart. Uh, And I think they're the team now, Barney, that we're both intrigued to watch again. Yeah, it just the football was great, I thought. Really positive, um, very attacking. And yeah, perhaps uh, Sporting's backline were... A little unbalanced. Anasio had come in for um, Fedal. And like I mentioned, I thought Neto had a poor game. He looked like he got caught out a few times. I mean, the thing is, though, they still got the three points. And this is what this is what champions do. They When they're playing badly, they still win. Well, it's a really interesting game from Sporting's point of view, Barney, because it was one of the few games where we've seen them rotate players. Tabata played, uh, Thiago Tomas played, as you said, Ignacio played at centre-back. Um, and for me, it was pleasing to see them play well, even with those changes. I don't know what you thought. I definitely thought Thiago Thomas had a, a really good game. I thought he led the line well. Tabata wasn't as a f- good as I was hoping. He had a f- he's had a few good games recently. I, I was glad he still got um, he got the start. Um, and Pote as well had a surprisingly quiet game. Um, didn't really do much. But I think Miguel Abraham sort of said after the game that it was his fault the tactics were so wrong. And I think that was clear. They didn't change the system though. That's what I was. They didn't react to the problem. And you look for the substitutions, they were sort of practically like for like. I just feel like we, we haven't seen that flexibility from Amarim so far this season. I feel like Porto have changed systems. You know, they've gone with a two up top and when they went Champions League, they've gone five at the back. Braga as well, very good at changing their the way they set up. But with Sporting, it seems quite rigid. They're, you know, you know they're going to be paying five, two, three. 
you know pretty much who's in that starting eleven, despite the rotation that they had this game. I feel like the issue was that they were getting overrun in midfield and there was just no desire to change that, you know, taking out a centre-back and going with a, a third in midfield. But I also wanted to focus a little bit on Thiago Thomas. I know I've brought this up a few times about him being the person to be their main number nine. Uh, constant rumours at the moment about Sporting looking to do some business in the market, but I just feel like he's... I thought he took his first goal really well. The touch was fantastic. The finish was quite instinctive, I thought, and really good. Um, I think he suits the style of play that they want to do. I just, he's obviously still young and he needs to learn. I think, you know, when he got taken off quite late in the game, when they were sort of holding on to the 2 1, he didn't, he didn't walk off and milk it. You know what I mean? He, he was jogging off. And I, I know it's a little thing, but that's quite important for to be doing that, those sort of things at that, at that point in the game when you, you know your team's strug- been struggling you need to be walking off there <laughs> <laughs> yeah I think it, it's it's a good point though, because in an ideal world he would have he would have a more senior striker to look up to and learn from take some of the pressure off him I mean he's got Spora there but Spora's not exactly a, an old player it would be I can imagine in an ideal world him having an older Portuguese striker to model his game off perhaps I don't know if you can see where I'm going with this uh, there's a there's a an older Portuguese striker at Braga who seems to be being linked to sporting day in day out. But a move for somebody like Polinho might make sense for me if they can pull it off financially wise. I mean, Amarin definitely wants him. He obviously worked yeah. with him at the end of last season. The thing I didn't know, Albert, that um, apparently they've had issues recently with um, Sporting when they acquired Amarin from Braga. They apparently had to pay 10 million euros. Braga still haven't received all the money. I don't know. There's a bit of bad blood there already. Plus, Paulinho has signed a new contract. They're going to have to be paying absolute fortune, I feel, for him. I think they've made an offer recently about 8 million euros and thrown in Camacho and um, Thiago Lori and even Borja on loan. You know, I can't see it happening. I think the most reliable source in this whole story is... Uh, Carlos Carvalho, who answered a question about this very honestly by saying Polino is not going to leave in January, but he will leave in the summer. So I think that is most likely what will happen. Polino will stay till the end of the season. And then maybe at the beginning of next season, we'll have a more serious offer coming from Sporting, depending on how many players they've been able to sell and you know their earnings over the season. But yeah, you're totally right to point out that in that striking position, They've got a great young player on their hands, but that squad balance is still not perfect in striking positions. Yeah, I don't I don't think they can rely on him. I mean, they've obviously only got the league and the cup games to focus on. They're not in Europe. I think he's a great talent, but yeah, I just to be their sole reliance for goals and leading that line at this age is perhaps a step too far at this point. Day after that sporting game, I actually sat down to watch um, Rio Ave Maritimo. It caught my eye for one reason, really. I'm obviously Lisa Vidigal was um, sacked uh, not too long ago, and uh, Milton Mendes, the the coach, has taken over from him. He's um, used to be the under twenty three manager for Maritimo. It seems to be have turned things around really well. Um, but the thing that was interesting, that, so he lost his first game to, against Ferenc, and then essentially, in a, I sort of saw an Ebola. What, from what I took from it, they sort of said to him, "Look." You've got two games, one against Belenens and a cup game. If you win them both, the job's yours. And he did it quite well. And then this game against Riyadh, who have got problems of their own, by the way, but um, so good. It's the, it's, you know, I thought, I obviously saw them beat Porto earlier on in the season, but this performance was great as well. I thought, um, seems to be going with both uh, Rodrigo Pino and Joel Togo, who had a great game. He got uh, two goals in this one. 
and it just seems to be clicking. Um, the football was good. Riav really disappointing. I think at the time of recording, I think they've just sacked their manager as well now, Mario Silva. Because I mean, that, their season has been so disappointing since coming out of the Europa League against AC Milan. Yeah, I did want to ask your thoughts on this, Barney, because their season just seems to have gone off a cliff. Like we were covering them at the beginning of this podcast when they were putting in great performances against AC Milan in the Europa League. And that just seems like a completely unrecognisable team. Only two points off the relegation zone. Uh, what do you put this down to? Is it as simple as something like losing Mediterranean? Well, yeah, goals has been the big one of the biggest problems. They haven't they haven't been scoring it anywhere near enough. They've got creative players though in that midfield and on the wing. You look at Carlos Mane, they've I mean the two signings from um, Sporting and Gerardas and um, who doesn't seem to be getting much minutes anyway. I don't really know what it's down to. I think I think they're right to sack the manager now. Um, it clearly isn't working and they need to change something fast because, I mean, they're two points above the relegation zone at the moment. Not to drop the focus on Maritima, though. I just, I think, like, uh, yeah, this new manager seems to be putting them in the right direction. And, and you know, I know Lisa Villegal was sort of talked of as a, you know, anti-Jogo. We've discussed this previously. But for me, the football is is markedly improved um, in comparison. And some brave managerial choices as well. If you think back to when Vidigal was in charge and Rodrigo Pino was their sole source of goals, their sole shining light in that team, it's quite a brave move then to start playing him alongside another striker when you'd think perhaps that wasn't the key area for improvement. I know, and uh, Pino has even sort of been forced out more towards the wing on the left-hand side in this game. Um, um, but it's definitely clicking. I mean, Joe Tegu looks like a good football player. I mean, his, some, his finishes were fantastic in this game. Um, so yeah, no, it's it's really positive for Maritima. Exciting times ahead. So after that game on Monday, it was then Bovasta, Bovasta, Braga. The later kickoff on Monday um, ended four one to Braga. I mean, probably one of the best performances of this game week. I feel. After their sort of surprise loss to Benelens, um, they've been ruthless. I think they had a 7-0 win in the attack of the Portugal. Uh, they beat Real 3-0. And, you know, this is another good performance against Bovista, who, despite their poor performances, still have a very strong squad. It's a strong squad, but they just their problem this season has been inconsistency, Barney. I mean, you never know which Bovista you're going to get. Sometimes they're really impressive and they make the most of their best players. But in this game, they just got totally left behind. Uh, well, what do you think? I mean, Gisela Ferreira now, he's, this is his second game in charge. It seems to be going with this 4 3 3 with Angel Gomez in the middle of the front three and Ellison and G either side. Like, I don't know, I guess he's asking to sort of play a false nine. It doesn't feel right to me. I mean, he's got he's got five assists this season, which is like one of the best in the league. I feel like he needs someone ahead of him just to be playing through, or it's a bit of a weird one. My instinct is that that would not work. I mean, I think back to. Angel Gomez's best performances in the league. And it's a weird one to pick out, but I remember him playing against Ferenz, even though they lost that game. And he scored that amazing solo goal by running from midfield and running at defenders. And that was when he was playing best. I just dropping off the back four, trying to find space for himself. I mean, I'm sure he, you know, he's a gifted technical player, but I just don't think you're getting the best out of him by doing that. No, and I I don't know if it's whether that Jezra has a set formation that he's sort of trying to fit the players into or what we've seen despite Bovis performing badly the whole of this season is that when you give Angel Gomez that role and buy that number 10 that free role he's absolutely devastating but yes yeah, it's still a defence as well um, I feel like Adel Rami needs to be coming back in he, I mean Awazian from Porto he's, he's an ex- I was expecting better from him but 
they're just shipping calls, man. It's not great. And then, of course, now there's news that um, I'm not sure how much it's going to affect them, but Gerard Lopez, the who owned them and Lil, is now no longer the owner of Lil. They seems to be having some financial trouble, which surprised me. And so we'll have to see if that relationship, what's, I mean, I take it that that relationship between Lil and them is sort of over now. Well, it's a worrying one because they spent so much money in the summer and there was so much investment. You know, it's always dangerous when uh, when a financier reduces their funding because suddenly you're left with a huge wage bill that perhaps you can't you can't manage. So you hope nothing like that happens. Obviously, immediately you wonder about Angel Gomez's future. I'm sure he'll stay there until the end of the season. I don't see any reason for Lille to bring him back. He's playing every week. It's probably best for him to say. I think we'll start seeing the effects of this change probably in the in the summer transfer window. Um, but to go back to Braga, sorry, they just, like I said, a really solid performance. Um, Ricardo Horta stood out again for me. I, I mean, he's looking like one of the best players in the league at the moment. Um, and even with Jolano out with injury, um, Yuri Medeiros and um, Fran Sergio in the midfield looking like adequate replacements. So they impressed me more and more as the season progressed, basically. I think Carlos Cavallo is doing a fantastic job there. I'm just looking forward to their Europa League ties now as well. Well, they sit in fourth place at the moment, Barney, just one point behind Porto. I think both of us would love to see them break into that top three. And with Benfica and Porto showing signs of frailty this season, do you think it's possible? I really would like to think so. I think ultimately, I think they've made it clear that any team below them in, in the table, they're going to be able to handle, I feel. It would just be a question of those head-to-head games against Porto, Benfica, Sporting. Obviously, Porto beat them at the beginning of the season quite easily. But since then, Braga have been on a much better run of form. Yeah, I think they're the sort of team where you bat them to give a good game to any single team in this league, the way they're playing at the moment. Well, with the last game that I want to pick up, Bonnie, I'm just going to touch on it quickly. Uh, it's Ferenz versus Passos de Ferreira. Very on brand for our podcast because, uh, <laughs> well, we've both been praising Passos de Ferreira uh, in the past weeks for their good performances. And I think our soft spot for Ferenz is no big secret. It ended 1-1 in the end. Uh, and I think it was a fair result for both teams. Uh, there's two things I want to mention in this game, Barney. One, uh, the performance of Steven Eustachio. I know he's someone that you've watched before and were impressed by, uh, and he did impress me this game. He plays in the centre midfield. He looked like a very mature and assured player, the sort of player valuable to any team, even if he doesn't grab the headlines. Also, maybe able to have an influence in, the, in each box. I don't know if you watched this game. What did you think of him? Yeah, I, he was the one who caught my eye as well. And it seems a shame to always talk about a bigger club coming in and snapping them up when a player for a less team performs well. But when you look at Benfica, who's sort of crying out for a CDM, he can be quite a deep-lying playmaker, but then he's also up there on the edge of the box, like creating chances, having a few goes himself. Um, yeah, really impressive. Yeah, I mean, if he keeps playing this well for the whole of the season, I'm sure we'll see him at a bigger club in the near future. Um, and just the second thing that I wanted to pick up on this game was, of course, the Ferenc goal. Now, we don't do a goal of the week feature, Barney, but I feel like it would almost be worth starting one just for this goal. It was Ryan Gould who finished it. And usually I take every opportunity to bang on about Ryan Gould that I can, but this goal was all about the assist from substitute Maddy Cater. Uh, an absolute filthy sort of backhill chip. I don't know how he did it. Unbelievable. It's a beautiful, beautiful bit of skill. If you go back and watch the highlights, well worth checking out. And Ryan Gould's there to sort of bury the volley. But yeah, honestly, if you haven't watched these highlights already, go back because that that goal is worth it for me. I know we focus on Ryan Gould a lot, but the rest of that midfield for Ferenc, I've, I've quite impressed me in this game. I thought they um, 
there's a, f- a few good performances in there. Also, I don't know how big this is, but Andre Pinto is just signed for friends mm-hmm. um, to reinforce him at the back. So he's a free agent. I think he's paid for a sporting before, possibly Braga, to my memory is correct. But that, that looks like a good promising sign, a clearly experienced player. Um, perhaps something sort of person they need at the back to sort of shore things up a bit more. I don't think they looked awful at the back this season, but I think it would definitely be a positive signing as well. And I know this isn't the most important thing, but they have had a big turnover in players this summer. So you wonder whether maybe the more players with Premier League experience, the more Portuguese players that they have on their books, the, the better it will be for team cohesiveness in general, just having more steady players in that team. Yeah, and uh, I mean, at the end of the day, a, a draw against Passos, who have been in a fine form themselves, is, is a good result for uh, friends. And a, another point that sort of keeps them out of that relegation zone on a goal difference. Well, that brings an end to our game discussion for this week. Obviously been a bit of a different one. It's been a strange couple of weeks because there's not really been any big surprises, Barney. There's not been any big upsets. I think that's been the key for me. Like, when we're trying to gauge how the league's going to pan out, if you look at like how I feel like Braga and Porto... Uh, put in good performances, but then Benfica and Sporting haven't, but still got three points, which is the most important thing. The bottom half of the table as well, it's getting very, very congested. Like the gap in points is tiny at this point. And I think for teams like, for example, Porto Menens, and I know they're not actually in the relegation zone yet, but Rio Ave, for whom you just can't really see where their momentum is going to come from. You do start to worry about them slipping into relegation places. Well, with that said, obviously, the January transfer window opens this week. Uh, And if you tune into our podcast next week, we'll be doing a little January transfer window preview section where we talk about what teams we think need which players. I mean, I I love the gossip at any time of the year. Um, (laughs) I love it. I'm constantly on the Sky Sports transfer market. Like, just, oh, I love it. I guess the thing we're not going to get there, Albert, is... um, Usually on transfer deadline day, you know all those rumours where they say like the famous one who was Harry Kuehl in Poundland in a Chesterfield or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> Players <laughs> spot. <laughs> yeah, that'd be a good test of our Portuguese knowledge. See if we can translate any of the back page headlines. <laughs> Hulk spotted in a what's the I don't even know Portuguese supermarket. Oh, I've, I've got that um, rumour I've made up myself, which is well Diego Costa used to play for Braga. Oh right, okay. Wolves want a striker. Braga cash in on Paulinho, Paulinho goes to Wolves and then they get Diego Costa on a on a free. There you go, everybody. That's the type of insightful <laughs> transfer analysis you can expect on next week's transfer special. <laughs> <laughs> As always on our podcast, we're going to have a look at one of the lesser known teams in the division as part of our team in focus feature. And this week we're looking at Family Cal, uh, located in the Villanova de Family Cal region of Portugal, just north of Porto. The club was founded in 1931 by six friends. Uh, and get this, Barney, their first ever game, the first game ever in their history was against Porto. So oh, wow. they, they must have some kind of connections there. And actually that connection does go a little bit further. Um, in fact, in the, in the 1930s, the club deliberately changed their colours from green to blue and white, the same as Porto. Uh, and I believe that was a deliberate way of trying to establish some kind of affiliation. Obviously, we see them in all white today, but yeah, back in the day, I think they were trying to curry favour with Porto a bit. Now, this is an interesting one for us, Barney, because 
as people who've only followed the league for a couple of seasons now, we've only really been aware of Family Cow as a Premier League club. And also the fact that they were fighting for a Europa League place last season. But they've only spent six seasons ever in the top flight since they were formed in the ni- in 1931. Uh, and they qualified for the top tier in 2019. And that was the first time in 25 years. So this is really not one of the bigger clubs in the country. No, and, and it makes their the finishing six last season all the more impressive. I mean, an absolutely incredible story. I had a look into their owner, um, which I think is definitely responsible for some of their excess and the sort of the wealth he's got. So he's um, he took over a couple of seasons ago, beginning of the 2018-19 season. Uh, his name's Aidan Ofa. He also owns 33% of Atletico Madrid. But the, perhaps the most interesting thing is his strong relationship with Jorge Mendes, um, the super agent, um, right, okay. who was pivotal in securing several loan signings that helped them gain promotion in the Premier League. Also, some of them from Atletico Madrid. We're on that subject, Bunny. Let's talk about some of their players. Uh, and going back to that season last year where they finished sixth, obviously the standout player was, of course, Pedro Gonçalves. And we all know what he's up to now. They also had Tony Martinez. Um, and he's gone on to Porto, albeit not playing very regularly for them. But to look at them this season... Obviously, the results haven't been the same. They haven't been that same impressive team, but they still have had one or two good players. Um, I'll ask for your thoughts in a second, but for me, the obvious choice of a standout player is Ruben Lumeras. Uh, he's a player with an interesting story, someone we talked about before, born in Portugal, uh, but a youth player for Spurs. He played on loan in Sweden and then also played permanently for Coventry and Plymouth Argyle. I'm not sure if any of their fans are listening. They might remember him. Uh, but this is his first club in Portugal, and he's really impressed me, alongside players like Gustavo Assuncao, a player who I thought might leave. He played in the same midfield as Pedro Gonçalves last year. And Bruno Jordão as well, Barney, on loan from Wolves. So you wonder whether maybe that's uh, George Mendes's influence there as well. Yeah, he's another one who's impressed me. Um, I thought he's looked really good in their midfield. And then there's a couple of uh, permanent signings they've made this season as well that I, I like. Um, Diego Queiroz, um, the Portuguese under-23 captain uh, from Porto. Uh, Danny Mora, the Spanish right-back from Barcelona B. A young squad as well, Albert. I think the average age of the squad is the is 22.6 years, which is the youngest in the league by uh, a fair bit. So they're clearly going with this model of buying young players, developing them and hopefully cashing in. But to quickly go back to, you know, the loan assignments they had last season and those departures, like there's also, you know, Fabio Martins, Diego Gonzalez, who's gone back to Benfica. All of these players were really important contributors. Um, they had a similar story when they got one promotion to the Premier League. And I don't know about you, but I feel like this season, the signings, the loan signings, either aren't as performing as well as they hoped or just haven't, just, you know, not as good. Because this season has been a bit of a different story to last season. Totally different story. And it's interesting because going into uh, us doing this episode of the podcast, knowing Family Cow would be our team in focus. Uh, and given the fact that they're currently mid-table with, I think it's fair to say, barely a memorable performance to their name this season, my impression of them was someone as a team underachieving. But now, you know, given what we know about the size of the team they are, where they've come from, and how last year, it's fair to say, was probably a huge anomaly. I think I've changed. it's changed my perspective on what they're doing. And I think when you see them trying to get more and more younger players in on permanent deals, as opposed to some of the more established players they had in on loan last season, it's probably more likely that they're trying to build up a younger squad, build up those foundations to stay in the Premier League for a long time. Uh, and with that said, what do you think their prospects are for staying in this league this season? They're not currently one of the teams in the bottom three or four, but they're not exactly setting the world alight with their performances either. If we look at the manager, so it's Joel Pedro Souza, um, he used to be Marco Silva's um, assist, assistant. This is his first managerial role. He obviously did very well last season. He had a really good 
way of counterattacking teams, um, you know, devastating on occasion. Um, but defensively, they've always been frail, I feel, and we've seen that this season. They conceded the third most goals um, so far. Um, they were they conceded the fourth highest last season. So I'm not so sure. There's clear, like we said, there's clearly a drop off in the uh, caliber of players they have in this season, and we haven't seen the same impressive performances that we saw last season. I mean, I think they were top at some, uh, about October last year. Wow! You know, completely caught, caught everyone by surprise. I feel like um, perhaps Tony Martinez. This, you know, he got a lot of goals for them. He was a really good focal point in attack. They brought in Diego Souza from China on loan, who, who was, you know, came highly rated, obviously an experienced player. But I think, I'm not sure if he's even gone back now for like a training ground scuffle or something like that. So there's a few gaps, I feel. Um, there was one youngster I wanted to mention, um, Zhao Neto, 17-year-old winger. Yeah, he got caught up from the Antonio Vries squad. He got his first start the other night. Um, he came on a few times, a few games before. I couldn't find out this. this was a concrete stat hour, but I feel like he must be the youngest player in the league this season. I couldn't think of anyone else. He must be one of the youngest. Yeah, I'm not aware of many other under-18 players who've played in the top flight so far. Beginning of the season, this was the team I was one of the, like one of the highest hopes for. Really excited to watch them play. But the performances, yeah, have just yeah not been that, that good. Well, following up from what was clearly a really remarkable first season back in the top flight, it's always going to be difficult. It looks like they're trying to consolidate and build for the future. So we'll keep an eye on them, keep an eye on their performances, and hopefully they'll slowly start to creep up the table, especially with clearly a very capable manager. If you want to check out Family Sale, the next opportunity to do that will be on Sunday, the 3rd of January at 1pm in their game against Tondela. And that brings us very nicely, Barney, onto our recommendations for games next week. We're looking at the schedule and I'm thinking we're really going to have to try and get this podcast out in time to big up that Saturday game, which looks fantastic. Sporting versus Braga at 6pm on Saturday, the 2nd of January. It looks like a cracker. I know, as we talked about earlier with... Um the cup final game between Porto and Benfica, you know, um, it's just an opportunity to see these two teams who have been arguably the best performers in the league this season, um, pitting it against each other and sort of gauging as, you know, how, how good they are compared to each other, really. And what a treat that game's going to be on free sports and the live score apps are available to watch for free for anybody in the UK. A lot of games happening the next day, Barney, on the Sunday, as well as that family cow game. Uh, any of those stand out for you? Um, if you if you're not looking at Benfica and Porto, I feel like Pastor Ferrer and Riav could be a good game. Obviously, Riav will probably be hoping to have a new manager bounce or whoever's in the dugout for them, um, and Pastor performing as well as they have recently. Could be quite a good even matchup. I feel actually. Yeah, that could definitely be a good game. I think we've been impressed with Passos multiple times in recent weeks. Rio have obviously perhaps a team with lacking confidence, lacking momentum. Maybe they'll be able to pick something up there. For me, the game that stands out on that Sunday is Maritimo versus Boa Vista at three o'clock. I think that'd be a lovely game. Two teams who've shown that they can play when they want to. Similar ability levels. Both teams trying to get as high up the table as they can. Yeah, to me, that looks like a great game. And just lastly, if you're if you're at a loose end on Monday night, 9.15, Barney's just pointing this one out to me. Ferenz versus Portemonense. I mean, get your football cliche bingo books out because it's a six-pointer at the bottom of the table. That's going to be a great game. I feel like um, Portemonense played all right against Benfica, just gone, um, even though they lost... So yeah, I think that is going to be a, a real a real battle between those two. 
where like after a couple of weeks of not really following the league properly we'll be back next week with a bunch of great games to check out so make sure you tune in uh, for our next podcast if you want to get in contact you can do so at football on Twitter or you can email us at football at gmail.com but for now we'll say thank you very much for listening and we'll see you next week see you next week